0: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livius Snedden.
1: Now I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about this evening. Hi, right, Rob. Is... I'm sorry.
0: I need to. I need to break in here with a key race alert. Oh, nice, uh, nice. Listeners may have been waiting for for a week for this key race alert, so we're going to go over here to the magic wall and declare that uh, Donald Trump <laughs> is the apparent um, president elect, uh, 2016. So, listeners, if you've been hanging on waiting to um, to hear the results for the last week, uh, there it is. Donald Trump uh, will be the next uh, the forty fifth president of the United States.
1: I I'm not going to say that I that I'm not surprised. Wait, did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, I, I double negated. I wanted to yeah. say that, so it's kind of a shock, is what i what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, you know, as I think it was to to pretty much everybody, um, Rob and I off the air. So when we recorded the last episode, the reason we bring this up, if you didn't listen to the last episode, we're recording it during election night. And we're kind of making fun of how the press was handling it. And, and we were talking a little bit about it. But right after we got off, we, we talked, I think, for like another hour. Yeah. Just just podcast business and stuff. But what's that website that you went to, Rob? I don't remember. It was a series of numbers. and You said they were the most accurate at predicting.
1: Oh, five twenty eight. Yes, com, that, five, yeah.
0: So as soon as we were done, Rob goes, wow, man, 528.com is, is predicting.
1: five thirty eight 538.com, sorry about that.
0: Yeah, is predicting, um, you know, it was like super close, but Hillary Clinton was winning by like three electoral votes, if I remember correctly. So you and I went on, we were talking about some other stuff, and you went, holy shit, dude, they're predicting Donald Trump is going to win. And I think my exact words to you were, Holy shit. That's the first time anybody has said that, that Donald Trump will win other than Donald Trump. I don't think anybody.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it it was like suddenly just ridiculous odds. It was like 70% likely that Trump was going to win. And I was just like,
0: what? Yeah. It, uh, it, it caught everybody off guard. I I did wind up watching. Um, so right when we were done, I, I wound up watching, you know, kind of flipping through three different, um, news stations, waiting for someone to make that declaration. But yeah, you could just tell how surprised the, the actual um, newscasters um, for, for lack of a better term is because most of these people are in very opinion. I was watching like CNN and Fox yeah. news. I mean, there's, everybody's got a side, right? Right. All of them were just in shock. And and these are people whose job it is to, to know. Deliver yeah. News and, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and not be shocked by, by what they're telling you. It was, it was really something special. So, um, for anybody who's not aware, uh, yeah, that's it. Clinton out. Trump in. That's it. Done.
1: Clinton out. Trump in. Um, can I tell you my favorite thing that's come of this whole thing?
0: Sure. Is the Joe Biden memes. Oh, God. The Joe Biden memes are it have been fantastic because they're not new. But all right. the new ones have really, yeah, You you are absolutely <laughs> correct.
1: Just... I, I I Joe Biden has been just such a non-entity. Like I know he's done stuff, but like he's always done the clownish stuff like um when Obamacare passed. I think it was Ob- Obamacare when when Obamacare finally became a thing. You could hear on the television like live TV Joe like kind of whispering to Obama, "This is a big fucking deal." <laughs> Do you remember when that happened? I do, yeah. So that's my that's been my impression of Biden the whole time. And so these memes where it's like he's being like he's pranking Mm -hmm. the incoming um President Trump. Just oh, it's just so fun.
0: I love it. I've gotten to the point, because you're right, because he has been such a non entity that in the back of my head as you're saying this, like I'm thinking, like, I'm pretty sure all those memes are accurate. Like that's actually him. And I I know that's (laughs) not, but that is the most that we know about Joe Biden is uh, is the memes. So.
1: All right. I just found one. Okay. Um, Biden. I'm going to put an angry cat in his drawer. Obama. No, Joe Biden. There will be a note saying, try to grab this pussy, Donald. <laughs> Obama. Seriously. Grow up, Joe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe Joe Biden should have run for president because I think I'm pretty yeah. sure. All right. So maybe not me, but if you ran on the Democratic <laughs> ticket versus Donald Trump, I think you might have won.
1: I think that it comes down to and we're not going to make this a political episode. But um, mm-hmm. what it comes down to is I think that there was as much like of an unexpected right wing uh, presence as there was just like the left side of everything wasn't feeling what they got. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Like, I don't really care about Hillary Clinton. Like, everybody's got their own opinion. I wasn't super excited about Hillary Clinton being the Democratic nominee. Mm-hmm. I believe that it, had there been a different nominee, it would have been an entirely different story.
0: I I agree wholeheartedly with you. Um, The reason I mentioned you is I actually tried, and I'm not allowed to run on the Democratic ticket. So why they, they, they told me to go to the other side. Uh, oh, so, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I just I'm not I'm not allowed to run as a Democrat. So 2020, um,
1: you're going to be my campaign manager.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could do that. Or I could just run on the Republican ticket. So they can't do much worse nowadays. So, all right. All right.
1: We're going to run opposed. It's going to be it's going to make the podcast uh, interesting. We're going to oppose <laughs> each other in the next presidential election. <laughs>
0: You know, I, I know we'll be around four years from now, but we we may have to have some kind of, there may have to actually be some kind of book collection. I love it already. I wish I would have thought about this like six months ago.
1: <laughs> um, so the book we're reviewing tonight, are we done with the key race update?
0: Uh, we're going to find out if there are any key race alerts during the course of this. Seems unlikely, but I will happily break in and, right. and let you guys know. <laughs>
1: All right. Um, good. Well, thank you. Thank you for the key race alert. I'm glad that everybody now knows, finally, everybody is aware that uh, there will there will be a President Trump. The author. All right. So the book we're reading tonight is South Village. One of the Ash McKenna books written by Rob Hart. Here is his bio. Rob Hart is the author of New York and City of Rose, featuring Ash McKenna. He is the associate publisher at MysteriousPress.com and the class director at Lit Reactor. Previously, he has been a political reporter, the communications director for a politician, and a commissioner for the city of New York. Rob, is the that means he had like one of those red phones and Batman could call him, right?
0: Yes, I, I think <laughs> that we may have used that joke in episodes 259 and episode 293.
1: Damn it. It's still funny to me, and that's really all that matters. Rob is the author of The Last Safe Place, a zombie novella, and his short stories have appeared in publications like *Thuglit*, Needle, Shotgun Honey, All Due Respect, and Helix Literary Magazine. He lives in New York City, unlike Josh Mailerman, who does not.
0: There you go bringing that up again.
1: Just, I mean, any time I know you're wrong, I just have to wallow in it.
0: Here's a little bit about the book. Ash McKenna used to be an amateur PI, emphasis on amateur. Despite good intentions, he made a mess of his life in New York, so tried to build a new one in Portland. But after a traumatic turn of events, he ends up on a commune in the Georgia woods, binge drinking cheap whiskey and waiting for his passport to flee the country and nightmares that have followed. Then a man is found dead, known only as Krusty Pete. The commune dweller is sprawled in the dirt, having fallen from a high rope bridge written off as an accident but ash suspects something more sinister as he looks into pete's death ash is shocked to find the supposedly peaceful community houses a rogue faction preparing to commit an unspeakable act of violence ash has to make a choice run or put his skills to use and try to stop them but he doesn't know who to trust or where the faction is planning to strike As he struggles to put a stop to the violence while keeping his own demons at bay, Ash finds that it's only a matter of time before one or the other puts him down for good.
1: Yeah, so one thing I want to point out about this, um, before we jump into the story, as Livius alluded to earlier, um, this is not the first Ash McKenna book that Rob has written, and it's not the first one that we've reviewed either. So this is not something that we do often, but... um, this is the third book in a series. We've reviewed New Yorked, which was episode 259, as Livius mentioned earlier, as well as City of Rose, book, which is book two uh, in episode 293. So it, it gets to be a weird thing, and I know Livius is not super excited about reviewing in a series, and it makes sense because if this is the first episode you're listening to or you haven't listened for the last almost 80 episodes you're you're listening to a review of the third book in a series, so you're kind of um, it, it's a little out of context and you're not going to get what we talked about the first two times but we're going to refer to that so it gets a little strange, so I don't know how long we're going to follow this series, but um, just in case you want to get more based on the characters and what we're talking about and if you want to understand what we refer to um, check out episodes 259 and 293
0: Excellent disclaimer, Rob. A little wordy, I guess, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love reading books in a series. I just, you know, kind of, as you had mentioned, I'm just I not sure how much sense it makes to people, listeners yeah. who didn't read the other ones. But that being said, I did read this with a somewhat critical eye, um, knowing that we had talked about this last week, actually, um, you and I off, off the air. Um, Yeah, I think it reads fine as a standalone. There there are references made to his past, but I don't think that that there's anything. Clearly, you would benefit from knowing more of his backstory. But if somebody just picked this up, I don't think that they'd have any trouble keeping up with what's happening.
1: I'll agree with that. Like the key things that he refers to from his past um, are addressed, I think, at the level they need to be in order for you to just read this book out of sequence um, without it being like, oh, man, they keep talking about some other book I need to go read. Or man, what are they talking about? It kind of hits a sweet spot.
0: Yeah. Now that being said, I am not that person. I could never start reading a book by reading book three. (laughs) So that would would, drive me nuts. Yeah. So (laughs) um, this book picks up shortly after um, City of Rose. Ash McKenna, as it said in the um, in the synopsis. Uh, has decided to abandon all civilization and go live in a commune while he deals with a little bit of the fallout, personal fallout from uh, from the book City of Rose. So, um, third book, we're we're starting to see a pattern emerge. Um, Ash is in a new location um, with new people, and of course, shit kind of goes wrong, and he has to get um, involved. Uh reminds me a little bit in structure, not, not that I think it borrowed or anything, but the Jack Reacher books are a lot like that. Like, Jack Reacher just kind of wanders around and winds up getting into these situations. Yeah. So there's always a very new, well, at least from the five, I think, or six that I read years ago, you know, kind of same thing. Uh, in that there's always a new environment around him and always a reason for him to get pulled into something, even though really he's not looking again. He just wants to be left alone. <laughs> it's just Ash McKenna's in that same boat of... Uh, Can't be left alone. Has to get involved in in whatever's going on around him.
1: And since we're making general observations, one thing that I'm picking up on is for who's supposed to be kind of a, not musclehead, but like a, a rough and tumble guy from New York, he ends up landing himself in really soft and weird situations often. So in, okay, so maybe... Maybe my wording of that's going to come back to bite me. But so in the first book in New York, there was just kind of strange. I remember there was a thing where um, the these local people were sending tourists on what was like a weird scavenger hunt. But it was tied somehow into um, the drug trade, which was broken up into these different factions. But the factions were like, um, you know, run by uh you know transgender people and and so it wasn't just like your normal setup there was some flair to it um, oh absolutely yep j- jumping over to to Portland, he's a bouncer in a vegan strip club, and so there's an you know there's an influence of of veganity in in that, and now he's in a commune in Georgia, so there's always these like uniquely Hippie fied weirdo situations. That's my obser- observation. I don't know if you if you were thinking that way, but that was something that's kind of been popping out like this tough, you know, brutish guy always lands in these weird it's a commune or it's a vegan strip club or it's you know something like that kind of places.
0: Yeah, that's um that's uh that's a very interesting observation. Um uh, yeah <laughs> that you didn't think I, I mean, about it at all well no no well you know I, th- I think my my i don't know my thought on him is that he's he's purposely seeking out places that that are less crazy than the new york so um portland although crazy you know he, he goes to a vegan club and, and that's landing planning a job so a little bit on the hippie lovey-dovey kind of side and then he just straight up was like there weren't enough hippies there at all so see, like by, <laughs> it's a commune. Like he's looking for like the least confrontational maybe places after the first book seems to me.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so like Livia said, we, we uh, discover him in this commune. And one of the first things that happens in the book is that uh, like it says in the op- synopsis, this crusty Pete guy uh, is found dead. And so, uh, despite Ash's attempts to distance himself from um, stressful and dangerous and messed up situations, dead body. Um, so they kind of have to start, you know, that's the starting point of the weird things that are happening in this commune. And the police get involved and in, in his kind of, in Ash's ba- basic level of investigating that he's been doing. It seems like there might be some kind of activism, like more extreme activism being hinted at in what he's learning about the, the crowd. So um, it becomes an investigation of, well, how did Pete die? And then it kind of rolls from there.
0: Yeah, and through the the course of the book, Ash is struggling with his own personal even taken up daily drinking to to numb the pain of some of the personal conflicts he's dealing with from from both of the the first books and uh you know he he, so he's got he's got that challenge so he's like kind of drunken detective at this point which really i don't think comes out that way in the book but um i was thinking about this like a hard book to talk about because i mean plot wise there's there's not a a lot you can say um you know, before you get into the, the nitty gritty of it. So we'll kind of run through a little bit and then maybe you can add or, you know, remove some of this stuff. So we do revisit a character from New York named Tebow, I believe is the pronunciation T-I-B-O. Yeah. And he um, left New York in the first book um, after coming into some money and, and wanted to to, you know, kind of change his lifestyle a little bit. Like I said, Ash I think he was just kind of looking for, for something a little different. So he, at the end of um, the first book of memory serves correctly. Um, it has intention and plans of moving to um, moving away and, 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 setting up a commune. So, so we revisit him, but there are other characters that, that have, uh, have come up in this book and we'll, we'll kind of touch on, on at least a few of them. We mentioned crusty Pete, although he's less of a character in this book and, and more of a corpse. Because <laughs> uh, we never actually interact with Krusty Pete. Probably the corpsiest of all the characters. <laughs> yeah. Um and then you have Aesop, who is um the one person that Ash kind of is is closest to at the commune because they, they work in the kitchen together. So he is teaching um he is teaching Aesop is teaching Ash um how to cook vegan meals for everybody at the community dinners that occur every night. You have Gideon, who is the um, newer, also newer on the on the commune, um, who is the security uh, person. He's in charge of security, which was a job offered to Ash initially. But Ash, in his um, kind of disdain of of confrontation and trying to kind of change his lifestyle, declines, and this guy takes the position as head of security. Um, you have Marx, who is another. Um, I don't know more of a more of an activist hippie I guess a a little more in the 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 I was gonna say the violent side of 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 hippies but he's really kind of a little more rough and tumble and and anti-government more than pro-peaceful lifestyle I guess type of hippie you got uh Sonny and Mooney who are hippies that are also cam girls um Mm -hmm. who do uh who do a show from, from the commune and, and do pretty well for themselves. Uh, and then, and then another cast, you know, more, a little bit more of a, of a, the, a few people that, that I don't want to say are inconsequential, but they kind of come and go through, through the course of, of the story on the commune.
1: Yeah. So, um, the story essentially is very dipped in hippies. Like we spend a lot of time in our, in our commune environment. And so, um, <laughs> this, so, I, I'm going to kind of divert from the story for a minute just to talk Livius with you a little bit about something. So um, how how did the hippies make you feel?
0: How, how did the hippies in the story make me feel or how yeah. did hippies make me feel in general? Well, I'm
1: assuming you have a general <laughs> feeling about hippies, which might have been reflected when you are reading about these particular hippies. I, you
0: know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> not a fan of the hippies. I, I'm not a big fan of hippies.
1: Um so I was having a conversation with someone at work the other day and um what came up was like all the political blowharding that's going on right now and um and I I I was thinking about something that's been bothering me for a while and um in my life I've had some pretty extreme liberal friends and at some point I kind of hit a point where I'm like at the so I'm going to take a step away for a second. So we were talking so the conversation that made me think of this was there there was a guy I was talking to who was basically saying that saying that like people's like extremism whether they're more conservative or or liberal um could be uh, was being um demonstrated on like a horseshoe, like an image of a horseshoe and the idea was like the more extreme you get to be as a liberal or or a conservative like you actually end up being so close to the same thing. You know, just with a different approach that they're essentially the same people. So the far extreme liberal people, really, there's not a lot of difference between them and the far extreme conservative people. Which brings me back to my point. I had these really far liberal people that were just so unbearable because everything was their cause. And if you didn't do exactly what their cause was, then you were a bad person. And everything came down to this issue. And it became so just maddening that you couldn't just have a conversation or say something off the cuff or, or have a good time because it all came back to being, like, cause-related. That it was it was just like, I can't fucking have a conversation with you. And that was really reminiscent of that in this book. There was, like, the normal, cool, hippie people who were just like, man, I'm chill about stuff and I'm just trying to enjoy life. But then there was, like, the absurd absurd liberal weirdos who are like you are a tool of fascism and it's like yeah who can have a conversation with those people
0: that's yeah and and you know for a while i thought you were just kind of going back to the beginning of this episode because it feels like a, a good portion of people are that way this this week yeah and uh <laughs> so this book was timely in that yeah i think i think we saw a little bit of of, of what you're saying through social media and, and news outlets and, and whatever um yeah. And, and I have known and, and had reason to know um, some some very hippie type people um, over the course of my life. And and, and I, I've been lucky enough and, and maybe I'm just repellent enough that the really extreme <laughs> ones I've, I've only met or, you know, in, in passing um, and, and that the rest of them are kind of like, you know, uh, it's Livia's kind of eye roll on some of my ideas more than like fighting, fighting the good fight. <laughs> against yeah. me so to speak yeah but no i understand what you're saying and and, and yeah and that that yeah and, and again i i keep I, I relate this back to this week because i found that um you you almost get to the point um with current events that the people who are anti-racism have basically gone full circle and you're right they're coming around to the other side of the horseshoe where they're basically um almost racist against people who aren't supportive of their cause Yeah. Which is anti racism so yeah yeah i your I, I, your 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 friend um your coworker made made an interesting point and one that I'm gonna probably dwell on a little bit <laughs> you know I mean my own personal life as I continue to watch events unfold around me in the world
1: as you can, cont- i continue to ignore events that are unfolding
0: around me in the world um can I tell you, all I've done is listen to like news radio for like seven days straight now, uh, every chance I get. And, and is this like
1: Schadenfreude? Like you're getting the pleasure out of someone else's uh, suffering, or a, a little
0: bit? But I'm gonna say something. I, I found that I'm listening more and more to Fox News <laughs> than I am to anything else. Register
1: your complaints at at Booked Podcast on Twitter. Correct, absolutely. <laughs> um. But uh, so back to the book and how this relates to the book, um, the commune re- represents the spectrum, I think, of of liberal people um, pretty well, like from the the, the carefree, peace loving. Like, I just like to sit here and barefoot and paint on this painting type of harmless hippie to like the, the crazy, ridiculous. Oh, and the cam girls who are probably yeah. like probably the coolest characters in the book besides our, our boy Ash. Although ASAP ends up being really awesome too, but um, to like the, I mean, borderline, I guess what would what would what would the extreme side on liberal be? It's not fascism. I don't know, but anyway, like, like the crazy super militant uh, liberal people. So the book has that spectrum really well represented within this commune, and as the story unfolds, um, the thing that is alluded to in the synopsis is that. Um, there is kind of a a militant almost faction of, of these people who are plotting something that's just not, not, not good for everyone.
0: Yeah, I I, I think you're right. And I guess I didn't think about that as I was reading it, but now that you mentioned it, it did seem like a very well-rounded representation. Um, I think we're going to let go on plots we'll throw in that there is a local sheriff and there's an FBI presence of course, as there is in any activist extremist story. Um, and, I mean, that's that's really it, right? That's all we could talk about. So,
1: yeah, I guess if we want to broad strokes like the, the plot that we've already kind of talked about, Ash goes to this commune, dude dies under surprising circumstances, and then as the investigation continues, this kind of militant group is is revealed, and then the rest of the book kind of is... How do we stop what we think is going to happen? Or how do we figure out what's going to happen and then how do we stop it?
0: I'm going to go ahead and throw out a spoiler. There's a fourth book upcoming in the Ash McKenna (laughs) series. So I'm going to tell you right now, Ash makes it through the book, which probably isn't a surprise to anybody. He survives uh, physical dangers
1: and, and I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, alcohol withdrawal. Yep. Yeah. So... Um yeah so one thing I like like I talked about with the hippies was kind of a I keep saying hippies I guess they are hippies um was kind of a big theme that was it was everywhere it you know soaked this book with hippies but um another thing that was was a big part for Ash our main character in this book was guilt because of the things that he's done in the past um guilt was a really big thing And before I say what I want to say, I just want to kind of get a blind read of like, how did you feel like was the guilt well represented in the
0: story? Um, Dream sequences aside.
1: (laughs) We all know Livius does not like his dream sequences. Yeah, I thought so. You didn't think it was too much or too little?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, so if we really want to break it down and examine it, we're dealing with grief through the eyes of somebody who's drinking, uh, which automatically makes everything more dramatic.
1: Yeah, because alcohol's a depressant, so it's going to bring guilt and grief more into sharper detail. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I just, in my mind, I felt like the Ash guilt for the things that he'd done in the previous book was pushed a little heavier than I than I would have liked, but. Now that you mention like this just being um, whiskey soaked the entire time, I guess it kind of makes sense. So that puts it in a better perspective for me. But there was a strong presence of of guilt in dealing with um, the things, the unspeakable things that we've done was the big theme of this book. Like um, kind of the, the previous book, the big theme was just coping with not wanting to be a violent person anymore, I think, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of the big yep. thing. So the the big emotional theme for this book was definitely like grief and getting over what what we've the bad things that we that we've done that we can't take back.
0: Yeah, I, the the thing about Ash McKenna as we as we talk and I listen and you know you refer to him as kind of a, a rough and tumble guy and the types of stories that he's in for somebody who's not who's not you know who hasn't read him um, he's one of his character traits is that he really doesn't like guns, so he doesn't use guns. And, and typically books of this style, um, you know, the guy's always got access to a gun or, or he's leaving bodies in his wake. And, and Ash McKenna's not that guy. So he, he does deal with these things because he's not just, just dropping them. Like I said, you know, I mentioned earlier, Jack Reacher. I don't know what the body count is in a standard Jack Reacher book, but it's got to be upwards of 20 probably per book.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I, I think back to other you know, kind of, you know, it's almost like crusader types, um, books I've read like Mac bullen that was, you know, at least 25 in each book, you know, Ash is not that guy. So, you know, he, he maybe is a little more introspective than your average, you know, I, I don't want to lump this in, but like action book hero type character. Right. So I, I think that, that his dealing with you know, so in the first book was 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 loss. So loss of his father and his and his, his uh, ex girlfriend. Um, then you've got you know him trying to get away from the violence, and now you've got guilt over some things that happened in that book. Not sure what the next one's gonna bring. <laughs> uh, Sex but... addiction. <laughs> well, yeah, Just I kidding. mean, well, you know, it's interesting because if we if we try to look forward. Um... And, you know, spoilers aside, I, I think that he, he you know, and, and this probably isn't gonna be a surprise to anybody just from us talking, but, you know, he, he's kind of dealt with his guilt. He's, you know, further trying to get away from the violence. And, and obviously yeah. two books ago, he, he settled his his his, you know, loss, you know, so it, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in, in, in the next one. So.
1: Yeah, I'm um, Prague,
0: bitches. It's going to Prague.
1: It's going to Prague. And you know what happens in Prague? Porn, porn it's like happens the porn in Prague, capital of the world, right? I'm, I'm just guessing. So, um, I'm going to Google what happens in Prague, <laughs> and it, and it's going to be disappointing, I you know. Oh wait, I'm just going to go back to what happens. Um, <laughs> here are the here are the results that I'm getting. What happens if no candidate gets 270 votes, mm-hmm. and it's I'm guessing, I'm hoping they mean electoral votes. What
0: happens when you die? They're they're talking about (laughs) Jill Stein. What happens? She didn't get 270 votes in the election at all.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, What happens when you die? What happens in Vegas? What happens after death? And what happens if you miss jury duty?
0: (laughs) Uh, So, that was good. I went a different route, because I actually... Google Prague porn Capital. Yeah. I'm just gonna read some of the, the titles that came up or some of the the web pages, the you know, headlines that came up there. Why are so many porn actresses from the Czech Republic? <laughs> uh Paradise for Porn Industries, Prague. Uh special report gay for pay in Prague. Is that uh, a
1: a key a key uh prog <laughs> uh key Prague update? Hey. Gay for
0: pay. Gay for pay. Yeah. So. Um, ten places to meet women in Prague. Uh, they're all they're all in a, a like a, an audition studio for. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: for the same Pornhub building. Idea. It's just ten different rooms.
0: Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> uh, Um, you ready to kind of wrap this up?
1: Yeah, um, I didn't quote this one. I have a printed advanced reader copy that was sent from Polis Books. So thanks to Polis for that reader copy. Um, but because it's a printed book, didn't do quotes.
0: Um, I only had a couple. And I actually read, I split the reading of this between um, uh, Kindle and iPad. So I think I had some more notes in the iPad where I read the bulk of this. Uh, la, la, la. I have two. Two, I guess, here, but they're both kind of meant because they were kind of funny. Um, one is uh, he's he's talking about this this person he sees, and he says, inside he's standing with a little elf of a kid, Latino, probably no more than just out of college. Big wet eyes and a little stubble on his chin. Like he's heard about beards and wants to know what the fun is about. Uh, that was clever and kind of amusing. And then this uh, this other one was actually pretty pretty. Pretty well-timed, and and I like this. And I I don't know, if Rob, if you'll quite understand this. But he's, um, you know, Ash is trying to do his thing where he's figuring this out, but these other things, like, keep popping up that he has to take care of. And at one point he says, uh, more tasks to fulfill. This is like playing a video game, and I've got side quests.
1: Yeah, I was lost on that one. That didn't uh, resonate with me.
0: Yeah, if you play, like, especially in, like, the big, like, open world games like you're trying to do something but everybody you meet is asking you to do something else so you have like these little side quests that you can choose to take Mm.
1: gotcha side quests um you want to start the wrap-ups yes please all right so you know that we reviewed the other two books um i don't remember exactly what our ratings were on those but i remember that they were pretty well rated from us um I've just grown to really enjoy Rob's style um, from uh, the type of book that this seems to be, and Livius was talking about this earlier, that it kind of falls into that like a- action kind of adventure hero series uh, uh, grouping there's more depth than I would expect from a series like that, so we were talking about there was kind of an emotional theme for uh, the second and, and so second book in this book, and Rob does a really good job of of, of giving us an entertaining story that's well written and um, has interesting characters and has an interesting plot. But on top of that, um, there's a there's a an obvious a very obvious character progression for the main character. There's always something that uh, whatever mystery that needs to be solved in the book is just something that's happening while his character is going through something and in this book there was definitely an obvious like putting your demons to rest kind of feel at the end of the book which is something that he was battling with so so seriously throughout the book so uh just very well balanced and rob is a really solid writer uh it was an entertaining book and like livia said earlier uh, even though this is the third in a series, you could very easily pick this up and read this uh, independently, although you would benefit greatly from having read the other two books as well. So I got nothing but good stuff to say about this book. I'm giving Rob four and a half stars on this.
0: Yeah, book three in the Ash McKenna series, no surprises here. Very, very readable. Um, this is this is mainstream accessible I'm reading I I, I, and you know, I don't mean to sound like a a slight and I I, I hope Rob or anybody else doesn't take this way. This is this is your your airport bookstore read. This is something that you could easily pick up, or you should be able to easily pick up, but you would be able to just, you know, pick up read on a flight on a, you know, a a medium length flight, it reads very, very quickly. Um, Very accessible to everybody. and, And there's really not a lot of people unless you're really that literary bent. Like that's all you read that that couldn't pick up this book and, and enjoy it. it 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 walks that fine line it's not pornographic it's not ultra violent it's not you know it's just very mainstream easy to read and man after after the last book that we read after we eat our own I'm I'm just reminded of what a a, a nice flowing story. Um, goes where you're just turning the pages and, and you're not like, you're not tired of the story at, at any point. It just flows really, really smoothly. Um, there's something to be said for mainstream, uh, accessibility. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I don't know that we're going to review book four in the Ash McKenna series. I know that I'm personally going to read it cause I am, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see how Ash handles Eastern Europe. Um, I'm uh I'm pretty much with Rob on this. I'm I'm probably not gonna ding it for the, the two or three dream sequences like I probably should, just based <laughs> on just based on my own personal <laughs> feelings about them. But I yeah, right right, yeah, let's do four and a half stars.
1: All right. I think that's probably in line with what we've rated as other books as well.
0: Yeah, I mean they're just enjoyable, they read fast. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there's no there's no stumbling blocks, which you know, we we've been running into the last few books that we've reviewed.
1: Yeah. Ease of reading makes me think of uh Dan
0: O'Shea
1: um with his that series he was doing for a while.
0: Yeah, it's the same it's yeah. it's there's Mass Market there's, Appeal. Yeah. Exactly. There's no reason this couldn't sit on the the new releases at at, uh, at Barnes and Noble shelf. Like it's easily accessible for people and it's good fun reading.
1: Yeah. Um I'm excited to see. I just want to bring this up again because um I, I just can't I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this moment. The Patterson book.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that too when um it was probably right when I cracked this open a week ago. Yeah. That's um
1: Rob Hart being the co-author of of a james patterson book is is a the reality little
0: name. the little He's name on the be... james patterson book
1: and then that's going to be a big moment because we're going to be like yeah i've i've i drank with a guy who wrote this james patterson book so yeah
0: exactly so yeah. looking so it's forward a, to that that might be something we review here <laughs> it's a it's a
1: life-changing moment for rob i'm guessing but for us it's like it's not good on rob it's like hey i drank
0: with that guy yeah exactly no so. kidding <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to, to give that to give that a read. And maybe I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe we'll have to have Rob on. That's, that's an experience that I don't want to say writing a book doesn't deserve talking about. But I think that there's such a there's a lot of and and I'm struggling to find the right word. As a matter of fact, that was 30 seconds of, of out like that you didn't hear of me trying to find the right word. <laughs> There's a lot of interest around this um this thing of co-authoring with James Patterson. So maybe we'll reach out to Rob Hart and see if he wants to or if he can. We don't know. We don't even know he, if he can. He yeah. he may be sworn to secrecy. Um but we're definitely going to try to get some some info for you guys and uh I guess we'll be reviewing at least one more Rob Hart book cuz we're definitely going to do that one when it hits.
1: Yeah. Can we before we move away from Rob Hart? I don't know if you're aware of this, but um the this could be a key race update that has to do with Rob Hart. Um, He was a very vocal supporter of Hillary Clinton from the very beginning, even in the Democratic um, primaries and stuff like that. So uh, I just want to say, hey, Rob, sorry for your loss, man. This has got to be weird for you. Um, But we'll we'll persist. You'll have something fun to write about with these next four years of madness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I do. I do remember that. I do remember that he was very, um, very much uh, in her camp, and like you said, kind of early on. So, C- can I tell you what the most exciting thing about a Trump election is for me? I can't wait to hear this. All right. So, so what is what is one of my biggest things that I'm passionate about? The rights of smokers. R- well, yeah. Well, vaping. Rights, vaping. Actually. Sorry, yeah. vaping yeah. rights. Yeah. So. One of the um, senators who is fully in support of vaping is a Republican and was one of Donald Trump's earliest supporters. Uh, See where I'm going with this, right? You think he carried some favor? You know what? Donald Trump is looking, and he has been very open about less regulation. Now you've got a guy, Donald Trump, that's the one thing that everybody has said to him is that he's ridiculously loyal to people that are, like, loyal to him. I find so that hard to believe, early, but okay. One of his, one of his earliest supporters, you yeah. know.
1: Hey, you know what? You just have to go to the White House with a sign that says, um, "Keep Congress out of my lungs."
0: Oh, let's. Do, we should do that. We should road trip that. Yeah, we yeah. could
1: record it along the
0: way. Make America vape again. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> little, little red hat. <laughs> Please get that hat. Please
1: get a Make America Vape Again. That's a t-shirt we're going to be selling sooner than you think, I I, I believe. so. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, nobody steal that from us. Uh, I was going to say something. Oh, uh, we could record like a road trip going out there to the Make America Vape Again rally in D.C. Um, kind of like we did with Ryan that one time on the beer run.
0: Yes, yes, we could do that. We should do that I'm let's excited do that about huh? that, yeah, let's do that all right, other things uh speaking of ryan, have we is is that is, is he okay? Did he ever make it back from China? what's going on with that guy?
1: Uh, good news, Ryan is back from China. He got back maybe a little over a month ago, a month and a half, two months ago, so he's been back in the United States for a while um, I'm guessing relearning
0: English because like he he's probably been off his sleep schedule,
1: yeah, I know that um one thing that's been preventing him or keeping him really busy, I'm not going to say preventing him from doing stuff, but keeping him really busy is, um, he's been focusing a lot of his time on the, his website, the ADHD nerd.com, the ADHD nerd.com, um, which is his website where he does a lot of, um, motivational self-helpy kind of stuff around being, um, productive and overcoming, um, ADHD, um, not letting ADHD get in your way of being a, productive and successful person and he's launched some classes and he's got a ton of books over there so he's been spending a lot of time with that and um so i guess because china doesn't have internet i'm guessing is one of the reasons
0: <laughs> i'd just like to say that i have read um uh, and not all but but a, a good amount of that stuff and it's not all directed people with adhd there's a lot of good just general productivity and focus stuff in there too yeah. Or maybe I have ADHD and I don't know the difference.
1: <laughs> you get you got HD ADHD from I don't know. I had a joke there, gave up on it. Um but here's what I'm gonna say, since we're talking about Ryan, um he messaged me the other the other day um, uh out of the blue telling me that he was gonna have some some audio for us for this episode, which spoiler he did pull through on, but I'm gonna read you the message because um, I need you to make a judgment call on this. <clears throat> so I get a message um, Saturday night that says, You'll have some audio for me by 11.59 a.m. on Monday, or I'll send you $100 to Donald Trump.
0: All right. Um, well, what time did this audio come in?
1: Monday, 2.42 p.m. Alright, so he made it, right? He said Monday by... 11.59 a.m., which is a minute before noon.
0: Oh, a.m. Yeah. Oh.
1: So I responded. He send the he sends the audio uh, titled Booked Motherfucker. Um, and then I respond, so unless we're flexible with time zones... And he said, huh? And I said... I quoted him what he said. And he said, I meant p.m. Why would I pick a.m.?
0: <laughs> that <laughs> so, did sound a little weird. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, if we decide that I'm the actually the, the final word on this.
1: No, he's not going to send $100 to Trump. Oh, but I think I wanted right. to at least hear what your thoughts were because.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I thought I was going to give him the out if he could just send us $12. Oh, yeah. See, there's you. an arbitrary amount, but.
1: Or I mean, buy us a drink the next time we see him. How's that?
0: that could be, yeah. That would be all right too. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't need a hundred bucks. I think that that he got what he needed out of the election. The yeah. like guy's like a billionaire, so I think we need the twelve dollars more than he does than Trump does, <laughs> not than Ryan does. I don't know. Maybe maybe Ryan needs the twelve bucks. Ryan, I don't
1: know. He might get twelve bucks out of us. I don't know. He's uh, an intern. I don't know what he, yeah. what his lifestyle's like. <laughs> but I know anyway, he a lot of CrossFit. There's a, yeah, he does that CrossFit thing, and it's like yeah. I don't want to know what a burpee is.
0: Yeah. CrossFit's like one step above being a hippie. It's like so it's like workouts for hippies? I don't know. I mean you have to think about what CrossFit is, right? It's like people it's people who work out but can't afford workout equipment. So they wind up using things (laughs) like discarded tires.
1: Right. That's why they like they'll like they'll like kill a cow and then just like roll it up a hill or something, right? And that's their workout. Yeah. 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 So it's like workout for poor people. Oh, that's a
0: good point. Maybe he needs the twelve bucks. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know. He needs, we'll buy him some uh, some like five pound weights, dumbbells. Yeah, just little ankle weights. You get him those
0: little ankle weights, that, like those Velcro around incredible. your ankles. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, all, right. all right, all right. So this is all boiled down to because he missed the deadline that he that he gave us incorrectly. Mm-hmm. We're gonna buy him ankle weights.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think this is what it all led up to. I think this is the natural <laughs> progression of things. Um, But until we do
1: that, uh, here is uh, a little bit from Ryan, the marketing intern.
0: Hey, this is Ryan McRae, the Booked Podcast marketing intern. Sorry I've been away for a bit. I was in China, and now I've just gotten back in the flow of things, and I just want to hear about great books. I just finished Dark Matter, and it kept me up all night. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it. I give it uh, seven Apple Jacks. And uh, you are probably wondering what to read over the holiday season, and you should read the Book pa- Podcast Anthology. You can get it for free at bookpodcast.com, and you just uh, put your email in there, and bibbity bobbidi boom you're done, and you get a great book, a big anthology, and there's some fantastic writers in there. And that's been about it. I've been Ryan McRae. I am the marketing intern for the Book Podcast. At least I st- think I still am. Yeah, just listening to that, I think he's got weak ankles. And you can hear it. If you go back and listen, (laughs) listeners, rewind like two minutes and listen to that again. That's some weak ankles talking right there.
1: It is obvious in the replay, weak ankle conversation
0: going on. (laughs) All right, a couple other quick things. Can I tell you about something that I watched? I'd love to hear. I'm still laughing about the weak ankles. I know you keep laughing. And I will say, this is not about the message I sent you. That I sent Rob a message. I'm sure Rob probably probably took up 10 minutes to process what the message actually said. uh, Because I did start watching a new anime, which is not what I'm going to talk about. Um, But I finally watched the movie The Handmaiden, which we talked about here. Yeah, yeah. Because it was the um what was the original that, book? the handmaiden's tale? The handmaid's tale. I
1: think it was like finger something or the, other. Yeah, fingers fingersmith? Yeah. <laughs> fingersmith, I think that's what it was.
0: Oh that is that hold on a second. I don't know. Hold now I'm confusing
1: on. myself. This is some
0: weak ankle shit right here. Some weak ankle shit right here. Alright, hold on a second. The handmaiden, which is based on the fingersmith, which came up as one of the most erotic <laughs> book. Remember? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. That's what it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the movie, um, which also we talked about based on the fact that it's, um,
1: it came up separately and then we made the connection. I remember this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So the movie was made by, um, Park Chan Wook who did old boy, which immediately um, made it of interest to me but those two things came up very separately and then we figured out it was the same thing and it became really really amusing <laughs> so I finally got around to seeing this and holy shit is it a great movie really yeah I really really enjoyed it it's on the long side it's like over two and a half hours um and and I'll give you kind of the 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 gist there is a um a, a woman who's a pickpocket she's been raised in a family of of thieves Mm-hmm. Um, who was contracted so to speak to basically help con a rich young woman into marrying a, a con artist that knows her family. So she is sent there with a the job of being the handmaiden and her job is basically to convince her, her mistress. I think that's what it's called, right? When you work for someone like her mistress to, to right. marry this, um, this alleged count, but in air quotes count cause he's really just a con man. Um, what a great, it, it, very, a little different in, in storytelling style. Cause there's like a really hard perspective shift halfway through the movie. i really, really enjoyed this. So just kind of following up on us making fun of the fingersmith and then finding out that this is being adapted to a movie that I want, finding out about this movie I want to see. And then find out it's an adaptation of something we've made fun of really good stuff. Um, if you're going to watch it, uh, you know, I, I know it sounds like it might be like a family friendly movie, um some of the the sex scenes get a little uh, a little kind of like like borderline <laughs> like softcore porn so wow. just in case you're trying to watch this with a uh, with the kiddos probably probably not a good idea
1: so it turned out being erotic yeah actually it did it
0: it well, yeah yes very
1: interesting so the thing that we were making fun of it for because the excerpts from the book didn't sound erotic ended up coming true in the adaptation
0: yeah and it's weird because the adaptation is a is a south korean adaptation so uh, the original um at least the book cover looked like like white women um and this has been all been transferred over to to (laughs) korea oh that's cultural appropriation right there it it is by but (laughs) but no it's not because originally it was white so then when you appropriate white culture it's just an adaptation, like it's no longer appropriation,
1: oh, that's a one way I see, okay, oh, it's absolutely, oh, yeah,
0: it's like <laughs> you've heard people say that you can't be racist against white people, right? I mean, you have heard that have people said that, oh yeah, huh, oh yeah, that, that's not a thing, it's like you can't be sexist against men, hmm. now, yeah that's that's the whole thing, yeah, all right,
1: I mean. That, I, <laughs> I don't know what th- I don't know what to say about
0: that. You don't have to say anything. You can't. You're white. You can't say anything. It's impossible
1: about it. to be racist or sexist against me. Yeah. It is. Like it's my superpower. <laughs> 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 All right. If nothing else was accomplished tonight, I discovered what my superpower is. Thank God.
0: Um can we say one can I say one more thing? Please. You mentioned Twitter earlier, so I just wanted to welcome um one of the newest uh, followers we have on Twitter, Storystar. <laughs> and and I just like to reiterate what what I said on Twitter. It's about time.
1: It's about that's time.
0: That's that's all I have got.
1: So I want you to I want to tell you that Storystar um coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, also followed my personal Twitter account at essentially the same time. And uh, I thanked Storystar for following me.
0: Huh. I don't know if Storystar follows me on Twitter. (sighs) I'm going to go do some research.
1: All right. Well, thanks in the meantime for the follow. I hope you enjoy the content that we put up on Twitter.
0: (laughs) Uh, We're not sure what's happening next time for reasons that we're not going to talk about. Um, We thought we would have a book review. We might still have a book review. We're not sure. Um, We do know that we'll be back again next week. And until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.